0: Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. John eighteen twelve through 27, this is the word of the Lord. So the Roman cohorts and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And led him to Annas first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest... But Peter was standing at the door outside, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the doorkeeper, and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all the Jews come together, and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I had spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, So they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And one of the slaves of the high priest, having a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we as we study and think upon your word, and as I preach it, that you would bless us richly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Now, the first thing you should note about this passage is how the Holy Spirit puts the betrayal of Judas and the denial of Peter right next to one another the betrayal of Judas, the denials of Peter. So we're left contemplating the actions of these two men in relation to the Son of God. Judas betrayed the Lord and handed him over to the officers of the temple and the Roman cohort for money, for 30 pieces of silver. Peter on the other hand, denied that he knew Jesus and, as we learn from the other accounts of his denials, did so with cursing. They both sinned. They both sinned against God. They both sinned against Jesus. But we must conclude that the sin of Judas, the son of perdition, was the greater sin. Peter repents and Judas only feels remorse. Peter repents, Judas only feels remorse. Remorse may be a part of repentance, but it is not the whole of repentance. We, we would like it to be the whole of repentance. You know, sin, feel remorse, sin, feel remorse, sin, feel remorse, sin, feel remorse. Never repent. Sin, keep feeling remorse, sin, remorse. That's the wickedness of accountability groups. I mean, that's an overstatement. But it's like sin, confess, feel bad, come back. Sin, confess, feel bad. Sin, confess, feel bad. Sin, confess, feel bad. But there's no repentance and we know that repentance is only it may involve remorse you do have to feel sorry for your sin but repentance involves a turning away from that sin peter denies the lord 3 times and then never does it again Now, before the text of John's gospel turns to contemplate Peter's sin, the rest of Jesus is described. It's very late at night, right? We're, we're talking late on Thursday, early Friday morning. As of yet, Jesus has not been charged with any crimes, but that does not stop these agents of the of the Jews and the Roman soldiers from Binding him and removing him by force from the Garden of Gethsemane where he has been with his men. He's taken to Annas. One commentary I read in preparation for the sermon said that Annas was the Jewish establishment's version of a a, uh, mafia don. The head of an extended family of ecclesiastical bureaucrats. The commentary goes on to explain what that means. He says, although deposed as high priest by Pilate's predecessor 15 years earlier, he contrived to have himself succeeded by no fewer than five of his sons, his son-in-law Caiaphas, and a grandson. While someone else might be the presiding officer of the Sanhedrin, Annas was the man to consult. He was pulling the string he was working out everything that came before the sanhedrin caiaphas then was the official high priest of the time but annas was the high priest and in fact that's why in this passage he's referred annas is referred to as the high priest he's the de facto high priest now, the palace of Annas was very close to where Jesus was arrested, and that could be the reason that Jesus is taken there first. But, um, but it's more likely the very fact that Annas is this mafia don. He's the power, and so they're going to go to the power. They're going to go to the man who's been pulling the strings. Um there's some confusion in this passage about who it's talking about, because it seems like in verse 14 we've shifted to Caiaphas and talking about him. But the, the consultation after that, I believe, is before Annas. Because then in 24 we get, so Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. It seems like the, this, this takes place with this, this Mafia Don, the first trial. And it's private it's not public. It's not in the halls of court. It's just a private interview with this power. Luke three refers to Annas as the high priest, and so there's there's just a lot of um, a lot of attributing to him the power that he has. All right, so. But for a moment, let's turn to Caiaphas, who was Caiaphas. He was the man who had uttered prophetic words about the sacrifice of Christ, no doubt with a double meaning about which he had no knowledge, right? He he didn't even understand what he was saying. In John 11, Caiaphas had promoted the idea of murdering Jesus judicially by saying to the council of chief priests and Pharisees from John 11, we read this, he says, Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. He's like, You idiots. That's what he's saying. You idiots, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him right they they understood what he was saying he's like hey guys let's just kill one guy and then the nation won't get destroyed and that's and the holy spirit is still speaking through him and right? it's a prophes- prophecy of Christ's death and and an understanding of even of Christ's death to a certain extent but what he means by the words that came out of his mouth are Let's murder him, let's get rid of him, we'll be safe. People won't go after him, the Romans won't get mad, there'll be peace. You just have to take care of one man, no big deal. And so those prophetic words of Caiaphas that it's expedient for this one man to die instead of having the whole nation perish are essentially sanctioning a judicial murder. as the last verse proves. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. He did not know that what he had said and the evil plan he offered would be turned to good. Jesus' death would indeed be for his holy nation, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. His death would be that sacrificial atonement to save us from our sins. What Caiaphas, though, meant by the words was was more earthy. We need to get him out of the way before the Romans get mad. And so Caiaphas is a political pragmatist. He's going to do what will keep the status quo alive. Now then, back in John 18, Annas has Jesus before him. And the plans that were hatched previously can now be enacted. Then, the Holy Spirit suddenly shifts our focus from, and, and we retreat from Jesus before Annas and turn to the Apostle Peter. Remember that Peter had just been with Jesus in the garden moments before this. He had just been with him, and he, you remember, took out his sword. That act of, of zeal, ignorant zeal, we'd call it that zeal, and he took out his sword, and he cut off the ear of, and he drew blood, of one of the men, uh, one of the slaves of the guard. Peter was probably still stewing on that whole situation, right? I mean, he's still thinking about the fact that, man, look what I did, and, and then, man, that was stupid, and then, man, he healed him, right? All these things are just like, going through his head what what just happened there and he's contemplating the fact that all the soldiers fell down as if in worship right and he's contemplating the fact that even still Jesus was arrested and taken off and then he's following Jesus to to go to the um, palace of Annas right he's got all of these things going through his head and then he's remembering what Jesus said about accepting the cup, right? I've got to accept this cup. This is what this is. I must drink that cup down. I must take on the wrath of God. And then he's, he's seeing Jesus bound and taken away. He's still trying to set, make sense of all of that. And Peter and one other disciple, some speculate that it was, was John. Calvin argues that it was not one of the eleven, and so we don't know. It could have been John um, for the first-hand knowledge of the events. Most say it was John. But Peter and one other disciple follow along as Jesus is carried away. Whoever the other disciple was, he knew the high priest. He knew Annas. Some, somewhere along the way, he had developed a relationship with this mafia, Don. And so when Jesus came to Annas, he was able to make his way into the court of this high priest, the court of the palace of Annas. Peter, though, remains at the gate, the doorway to the court as this other disciple went in and asked permission for Peter to come in. So he goes in and is like, can my, can my guy come in as well? It was granted, and Peter and the other disciple entered. Now it appears at that point that they part company, the other disciple probably goes into the house, into the palace, to uh, see what's going on and Peter goes about to the middle of the outer court and there he, he naturally gravitates toward a coal fire because it's cold out, right? He's like, I'm going to head over there, feeling a little chilly and so he makes his way there. Some servants are there warming themselves, some servants and officers are there warming themselves during, um, during the cool of the night. Just past the door or at the door of, this, of the court was a servant girl who kept the door, right? She un- unlatched it. She was in charge of unlatching and opening and closing the door. And um, she sees Peter and asks a simple question. You are not one of this man's disciples, are you? It's an easy question. It's a very simple question. It's a yes or no answer, it's an immediate yes, and everybody could move on. Well, no, it's not an immediate yes. The Apostle Peter says, I am not. Yet the Apostle Peter, still reeling from the arrest, the violence of of his action, of cutting, right, and then the healing, and Jesus' willing arrest does not say yes. He says, I am not. And it's a full denial that he was a disciple of Jesus Christ. From the doorway then, he moves to the middle of the court, finds that fire, stands there warming himself with some of the slaves, some officers. And you got to think that now Peter is afraid of being arrested. He's afraid, right? Half these officers had been there in the garden. They had seen him. They had seen this whole whole Malchus affair. Right? They had seen this. And so he's among the people that had been there. And he's afraid of being arrested. If he identified himself, he, he thought, well, I'm going to be removed. And I'm not going to have the opportunity to help Jesus. That's what's going through his head. Right? He's, he's calculating his lie. He's calculating his lie. They knew him. They knew him because of Melchis, And they would have appreciated a, a, um, a chance to arrest this guy and deal with him for attacking one of their men. And so you and I, were we there, we would have been figuring out ways to conceal our identity too right? We would have been scared. He was scared. We we would not have just come out and said, why, yes, I'm one of his disciples, and let me preach to you the gospel of the good news. I mean, we all want Peter to do that, right? But there's none of us who would have done that. You know, hey, let's pray the sinner's prayer together. Guys, Jesus had helped him escape in the garden, remember? Let my men go. You take me, let my men go. He's helped them escape, and now he isn't about to just disclose himself. Jesus had helped him to escape, and now he's got dis- to hide. Adersheim makes this interesting remark as he contemplates this denial of Peter, and in a sense, he gives Peter some credit here. Listen, he says, was he right in, in having come there at all? Commentators have discussed it as involving a neglect of Christ's warning. right? You're going to deny me three times. right? That He should have just gone somewhere hidden and said, No, I'm not. As if the love of anyone who was and felt as Peter could have credited the possibility of what he had been warned of. And if he had credited it, would in the first moments of returning... Um, after the panic of his flight, have remembered that warning or with cool calculation acted up to the full measure of it. To have fled, now listen to this, right? To have fled to his home and shut the door behind him by way of rendering it impossible to not deny that he knew Christ would not have been, um, would Peter not have been any would not have been Peter, nor any true disciple. He would not have been a true disciple. Nay, it would have itself been a worse and more cowardly denial than that of which he was actually guilty. Right? If he had gone and hidden himself, I won't deny. It's flight. It's going off. It's hiding yourself. It's, it's, it's getting rid of any circumstance where there would be temptation. And so Adersheim is kind of like, think about it. That, let's give him a little credit. He's actually going after Jesus. He's actually in the court. He's actually close to the events that are going on. And and it's intense. And he's scared. And they're going to recognize him, right? And there's all these things going on. He probably thought as this was happening that that servant girl didn't even have the right to know the truth. You, You don't You don't have a right to know whether I'm his apostle or not. How dare she ask me when I'm trying to be so careful right now, right? How dare she ask me this? I mean, for me, that contemplation, right, is is an example of how we justify our sins, isn't it? We've been warned time and time again in the Word, just as the Apostle Peter was was warned that he would deny Christ, right? And yet we rush headlong into some sinful pattern with a mind filled with reasons why this time our our actions are justified, right? He was saying, that young girl has no reason to know the truth. No reason. How dare she ask me, right? And he's denying that he's, he's lying about it. Right? We justify our sins like this, right? Our, our, our anger, we say, is zeal. Zeal for what's right. Our lust is, is manliness, right? It's, it's my virility, it's my strength as a man. Right? Our gossip is, is expressed concern for others. It's our complaining is discernment, right? Our cowardness is actually carefulness. But watch yourself in this. When you are tempted, one of the things you will start to do is justify why giving into the temptation is not at all bad. Is that not how all of your temptations start? That's how my temptations start, or maybe that's two or three steps in. It's like, okay, I got to work through the reasons why this isn't sin, and then I can give myself to it. If that doesn't happen, well, then your conscience is just dead, and there's not that filter there. I think having that filter there is a good step. But so often, once you get to that point, and you're saying, okay, I have justifications for this, you come up with valid reasons, what you think are valid reasons, and you just plow forward. Right? 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 We justify our sins. We give ourselves reasons to sin. Reasons to do this or that. Peter had seemingly good reasons for not wanting to admit that he was Jesus' disciple. He had seemingly good reasons. If I get arrested, I won't be able to help Jesus. If I get taken away, what is he going to do? How can I help? Right? How, how, how? I can't abide by that thought. I've got to stay here, and so I'm going to lie. But Jesus had already told him that this was going to be his sin. You're going to deny me. He's like an explicit command right to him. You're going to deny me three times. And he had already given himself reasons why denial was the only thing he could do. Oh, it's twisted. It's twisted. It's just like you and me. Right? He doesn't see it until, until later. Remember, just hours earlier, Peter had proclaimed that he would lay down his life for Jesus. I will lay down my life for you, he said. He appears unable or unwilling to do so now. If he's protecting himself. But he may be reasoning this way. He may be saying, I've got to deny so that I can get in the temple court and rescue Jesus. And I'll die with him there. I mean, that could be what's going through his head, right? But but, but on, the, on the appearance, it seems he's unwa- unable or unwilling to lay down his life. Words and proclamations of our virtues are cheap, Right? Words and proclamations of our virtue are cheap. We learn the strength of our virtues only when we face the trials that test them. Right? I will lay down my life for Jesus. Our cheap words. And then when it's tested, you find out, okay, he actually passed that test or he failed that test. He did actually disclose who he was and he was arrested and he was Killed along with Jesus. And then suddenly we move from the Apostle Peter standing and warming himself with the servants and officers out in the court to Jesus within the receiving room of the the so-called high priest's house, Annas. Annas, who had hatched the plan to kill Jesus, begins to question him. Now, putting together this account with the other Gospels, it appears that Annas questioned Jesus privately, that's what we read about in the Gospel of John, and then did so before a hastily convened council. That's what we read in the other Gospels. Two lines of inquiry are initiated by Annas. One, who are your disciples? Two, what are you teaching? Who and what? Okay? What are you teaching? Who are your disciples? He is searching for a reason to kill Jesus, remember? And he wanted to know who else he was going to have to do with after Jesus died. What are the names of the people I'm going to have to kill potentially after you die? So tell me who has followed your teaching and what is your teaching? In response to these lines of inquiry, Jesus says, I have spoken openly to the world. It's been, it's been out there. There is no mystery here. I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Why don't you go ask those people who heard me teach? There are thousands upon thousands of witnesses, he's saying. You're not going to have any trouble finding out what I taught. Thousands of witnesses. Thousands. Now, you know that they go and find false witnesses to nail them. But if they wanted to find out what he taught, it's out in the open. There is no question about that. Jesus has not hidden his teaching. He did not do it in some hidden place in the wilderness. He had gone from city to city and spoken in the synagogues. He had gone into their very own temple and disclosed that he was the light of the world. And what he had done from start, from the start was to speak openly before the world about who he was and what his father had sent him to do. There was no mystery here. He had proclaimed himself the Messiah And the Jews would have nothing to do with that announcement. Everything was out in the open. There was no reason for him to disclose anything here. He had been a public teacher, not some sort of hidden away cultist. But out in the open. Peter, in the courtyard, had been asked a question and would not disclose anything. Jesus, before the high priest, had been asked a question. And he says that everything has already been disclosed. Ask anyone, and think of the way legal proceedings are to take place. It is not our practice, nor was it the practice of the Jews, for someone to incriminate themselves in a judicial procedure. That's what Annas is trying to do. He's trying to get Jesus to incriminate himself. That is not how it was supposed to go down, Right? This is what Annas attempted. He should have had witnesses for and against him. But again, this is just a private meeting. He's seeing what he can get Jesus to do. He's not concerned about propriety at this point. He's concerned about killing Jesus. One of the officers that was standing near Jesus didn't like this answer. Imagine, there there may be no greater example of the pride of man than this one. This mere man doesn't like how he spoke to this mafia Don. And so, he gets out his billy club and strikes Jesus with it. The Greek seems to make it clear that he was struck in the face. And he says, is that the way you answer the high priest? This is the first time the body of Jesus was struck by a sinner. The first time. It also indicates the joke that this court is, that this private trial is at this point. There is no quorum, there is no procedure, And the one under arrest is is already being struck in the face and beaten, right? The, The nation of Israel was not only corrupted in her religion and in her idolatry, but her politics and her courts had become instruments of the powerful and of wicked men. And this nation is corrupt to the left and to the right. Jesus does not respond in anger. Does he? In fact, he practices what he preaches by essentially offering the other cheek to the one who strikes him on the right cheek. He calmly responds to the, to the, the uh, aggression of the man with words telling him, there was, no, there was no reason for you to do what you just did. Do you realize that, young man? There was no reason for you to do what you just did. If, if he had said something wrong, the officer should question what was said and bring to light what was wrong, right? A question would do. I mean, is this what you mean by saying this? Can we, can we talk about this some? If what he said was right, there was no reason at all to strike him. This trial is a joke. And now this private inquiry by Annas ends and Jesus is shipped off to be questioned by the official high priest, Caiaphas. And at that point, again, the the text shifts. The scene changes to consider the conflicted Peter. We return to the coal fire where Peter is warming himself with the servants and officers. These men notice him and ask the very same question as the girl at the gate. You are not also one of his disciples, are you? Again, Peter the pragmatist. Peter, the one willing to lay down his life for Jesus, denies it. I am not. Then, just what Peter fears takes place. What he's been trying to conceal is no longer concealed. He's been recognized by a slave who had taken an interest in the whole affair because it had been his relative who had that ear cut off. And he had been there to see it. I saw you. I saw you do this. You are one of his, aren't you? Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, it is too much for Peter. He does not kill his fear. He does not kill his desire to protect himself. He does not remember the command of God not to lie. He doesn't remember the rebuke of his Lord just from hours earlier. Temptation has come upon him and he's completely unprepared to face the temptation. And he says, I am not. For the third time, He is completely unprepared. He was not thinking about Jesus' warnings, the testimony of Scripture, the holiness of God, the majesty of the God who had delivered the law. He was fearing man instead of fearing God. He had forced from his mind the very law of God which would have been to to him a light to his path. Right? Right? Dear brothers and sisters, those things are common to man. We forget the warnings of Scripture, and the result of that, we respond in fear to man and forget to fear God. We put the commands of God out of our minds, and then we're, we're racked with fears, and it's the fear of man. You constantly, dear brothers and sisters, have to stoke the fear of God in your lives. You have to. Or you'll fear a thousand other things that will just torture you. Jesus had warned the disciples about this very kind of wrong fear. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Here is Peter in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. This has got to be, I mean, how can Peter not be thinking of this from Matthew 10? And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. All Peter is saying is, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. But he could have been trusting and, and the Spirit supplying him with words here. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher." nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beisabel, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in the ear, proclaim upon the housetops, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him, capital H, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but the very hairs of your head are numbered, So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, now listen to this. This is in the midst of this sermon that Jesus gave earlier that Peter undoubtedly heard. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men... I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. That verse undoubtedly became the burden of Peter for the rest of his ministry. And if Jesus hadn't gone to him and restored him, he likely would have done the same thing as judas but think of that burden i denied the lord 3 times and he had said if i if we deny him before men he's going to deny us before the father One of the slaves of the high priest, being relative to the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. A rooster crowed. Ryle says, wonderful thing on this, he said, the bird's familiar crow, no doubt, sounded in Peter's ear like a clap of thunder because it awoke him to a sense of his sin and his fall. Ryle says, as long as the world stands, Peter's fall will be an instructive example of what a great saint may come to if he neglects to watch and pray of the mercy of Christ in restoring such a backslider and of the honesty of the gospel writers in recording such a history, right? We see the, the, the ugly underbelly of the apostles, right? These aren't supermen and they have to protect their reputation. No, the only thing that matters in Scripture is we see the holiness of Jesus Christ. And if the sins of everybody else are laid out, that's appropriate because it's reality, it's true, Peter's sin here is so terrible. Even if he rationalized it. Especially if he rationalized it. One other application here. Those who are weak ought not to undertake that which is not necessary. Does that make sense? Peter was weak. He ought not to have gone into the court. We could make that application, I think. Peter didn't need to follow Jesus into the court. Peter, he hadn't been asked to do that. He had been brought along by his friend. He was clearly unprepared for it. It might have been better had he not followed. Um, how many things do we enter into and we have neither looked to Scripture nor prayed to God? How many things do you enter into and you are unprepared for it? You haven't prayed about it. I mean, we could enter into marriage and have never prayed about our marriage. I mean, we, we enter into the most the the most intense parts of our life, and we have not saturated that with prayer at all. I mean, we rush headlong into situations for which we think we are prepared, but our prayerlessness it, it betrays our lack of pre- preparation. you know when somebody comes up to you and they they give you their plans like we're going to do this and then we're going to do that and then you know and then I'm going to get chickens and then I'm going to have a six figure income and then you know like like men on facebook like to to boast you know if if anybody if i do that if I do that, just stop me in my tracks and say, have you prayed about this? Just ask me that. Have you prayed about this? I mean, you've got these plans. You seem to have it all figured out, right? You've got everything laid out. Have you prayed about this? It's like, Psh. You know, what scripture, you know, are you contemplating that led you to have such confidence in these plans? You know, what scripture are you mulling over that gives you you know, the impetus for this. You ask those questions, it'll deflate me and it'll be perfect. Do it. We must do that. Last thing I'll say is this. The episode is proof that Peter needed personally the death that Jesus was willingly marching toward. Peter needed Jesus to die. Peter needed that sacrificial atonement. Peter was such a terrible sinner Peter was, had faced the temptations that are common to man and failed just as you and I have. And he needed Jesus to go forward to death. He needed redemption. He needed forgiveness. He needed to be covered in the blood of Christ that was shortly about to spill on the ground. He needed to be washed in that blood. And think of it, in years to come, the Apostle Peter, restored by Jesus himself, would warn his brothers and sisters in the churches by writing this, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Right? Think, of the, think of the glory then of the Apostle Peter, though he would go on to sin, we know. Thank you, Apostle Paul. But think of the glory that he is telling men then the rest of his life, fear God, fear God, fear God, don't fear man, don't, don't worry what they do to your body. He's actually putting into practice that sermon that he so faithfully put into practice in the garden and in the courts of Annas. And so he's being sanctified, he's being, he's being moved along, and he's becoming strength so that the church might be fed and may... Fight their own temptations, and so praise God for this. I guess there's one other thing I would say about the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter is to be lamented and not imitated. In these sins, we often think, "Oh, Peter is so, hes so much like me," you know, and and we use Peter as this sort of excuse to be a, an idiot and a sinner and impetuous and unthinking. Don't do it. Imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, do not imitate Peter in his denying of the Lord. There is nothing pleasant about that. What was Peter's response to denying the Lord three times? He went out and wept bitterly. He poured out his soul before the Lord. He thought it was over. It was done. He had denied the Lord. And if Jesus hadn't come back to him and gently restored him, he would have been left in that anguish. So praise God he was not. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the bold actions of Jesus. The boldest action being that he willingly went to death. He willingly allowed foolish men, petty little men, to, to hold a, 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 a fake trial. And that they would blaspheme against him. They would hurl insults. They would, they would mock him. They would spit upon him. And yet he just willingly goes to the cross so that we might be saved. Father, it's glorious silence, it's glorious courage. And thank you that we know that Peter, though he denied the Lord, was restored and spent his life proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ until he went to his own cross and died. Father, may we remain faithful. May we proclaim Jesus' name As we have opportunity, help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.